Welcome to the Fuck Trauma podcast with me, your host, Candice Tamara. I'm a trauma mindset coach and I am on a mission to help you free yourself from your past and create the secure, loving and healthy relationships with yourself and with others that you truly deserve. Let's dive in. Before we go any further, I just want to let you know that my signature group program, Anxious to Secure in Love, is enrolling right now. This is my signature 10-week program that will take you from anxious and, and feeling anxiety in your relationships or in dating to feeling secure in yourself and in your relationships. This is the most supportive container you could ever imagine, and it covers everything that you can imagine from anxious attachment style for from your identity you know to people pleasing to healing anxious attachment style to managing your triggers to learning to set boundaries communication what your needs are learning how to meet your needs and what you need for in a relationship it is incredible and it has insane results if you're interested in joining please send me a message uh, send me an email or dm me now for details Hello and welcome to this uh, episode of the Fuck Trauma podcast and I am joined with a very special guest, Harry Hope Richmond and I'm actually going to let her introduce herself because I honestly don't feel that I would do her justice with how incredible she is and what she does. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. So hello Kerry, thank you for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me, Candice. Really excited to be on the podcast and talking about a topic that I know very well. Mm -hmm. So I am currently living in Washington, D.C., where I work as a lobbyist for child welfare reform. Mm -hmm. And I also run my own nonprofit called Unbelievably Resilient, which is an organization that is looking to shatter the harmful stigmas and stereotypes about foster care by our team sharing our experience in the foster care system and moving from trauma to triumph. So we do a lot of storytelling through that. And all of my professional hats are driven by this personal passion of mine because I was in the foster care system and experienced trauma really from the day I was born um, and, and have spent now many years trying to heal and understand that trauma and be a cycle breaker in my generational line. So happy to be here today. Yay. Um, there is so much in that intro that I'm just like, I have to remember everything to, to say, like, it's incredible. So I love that from trauma to triumph. That is incredible. And you are definitely, you've definitely must feel that you've broken these generational traumas yourself. Some, I feel like it's definitely a work in progress and healing is an onion. So there's new layers at every stage of life and my goal is to get to a point of really a solid foundation before I would ever consider, you know, having a family or getting married. Those are things that I know will trigger new layers of some of those old wounds or hurts. Yeah, I hear you fully. Um, and is, is that something that you fear? Having generational trauma repeat. Yes. Yeah. I would say that's probably my biggest fear 
in life. Yeah. And, you know, it's very interesting hearing you say that, but because as, as you know, that I experienced a huge amount of trauma as a child too. And I think that is also my biggest fear. Um, the idea of passing it down to a child when I was that child and I know what that, that impact has. And I know you know this and see this yourself. Yeah. It's, it's very fearful. It's weighty. It's like, this burden that if I know how painful it was, it would be reckless of me to not heal and prevent that from happening to someone else. And I think, I wonder if you feel this way, but then I think that carries into my professional work where I also feel that if I know how broken the system was and I experienced firsthand, that it would also be reckless for me to look away from trying to fix it as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. And that, yeah, and that's absolutely what your drive and your purpose is. And it's incredible that you've found your purpose to be able to to do that. And that's obviously where I also come from and what I'm doing is because I feel that this was always what I was supposed to do for my purpose to break that generational trauma and nothing makes me happier. And I'm sure it's the same for you, but not everyone would be that way. You know, lots of people would have experienced what you experienced and they, you know, would have tried to, blend in with with normality of life and I certainly did that for a a very long time rather than taking the stand that you have how did you get to that point where you realized this was like what you wanted to do or what you felt strongly about to do or was it always that case for you yeah I think for me for a long time I was in this disassociative state where I was always trying to put a positive spin on what happened to me. And I started telling my story when I was in college and I found that it was bringing me a lot of purpose to the pain. And that was a really great release, but that was a very temporary release because there was so much pain that was still undealt with. And that was really being suppressed by this sugar coating that I was doing. And eventually it started to come out in these really ugly ways. It started to come out in my relationships. It started to come out in my coping mechanisms. And, and, you know, one of those coping mechanisms was this striving for immense success at the cost of my mental health. Um, and we could do a whole episode on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so eventually I think I, I had to get to a point where I could still use the pain for purpose, but do it in this authentic and vulnerable way that, mm-hmm. um, that doesn't misportray how hard it is to take what horrible cards you've been dealt in life and try and transform them into something that can not only help you to heal, but can also help others to heal. Yeah. And what an inspiration you are, because, you know, I came across you on Instagram like a few years ago. And at that point, I was struggling with the idea of of telling my story. I was very much, you know, in the same place of like, I knew this was what I had to do, but there's a lot of fears there around kind of doing that. Um, And I saw a post of yours, which is incredible because it's like, it was obviously meant to be, which is just insane (laughs) because I I just come up, like, I think it was on explore page or something like that. It wasn't, you weren't anywhere for me to find you. It just happened. I did find you. And 
yeah I saw and you were sharing about your adoption and, and fostering and I just thought oh my god you're amazing like I, I don't know it just gave me this such a warm feeling like that you were doing that and it inspired me completely and I was like yes like look how I feel about this like people do need to hear these things and it inspired me myself so yeah thank you for sharing oh gosh, thank you for telling me that you've not told I'm me that sure. before I'm and, sure and... I thought I told you that I was like yeah I'm oh. sure I thought I told you that but maybe not in the in the extent but yeah I remember the second I came across I remember I mean obviously I don't that's how I know that this is meant to be because I specifically <laughs> remember seeing your post and your your writing and reading it and then following you and then I think you followed me back and then yeah and then it's just been there so yeah like it's so incredible what you're doing and that is healing so many people and on top of that now you obviously have the work that you're doing as well and and your podcast and you yeah. know all of these different things I think it's so incredible that we are living in a, a time where you can be in London and I can be in Washington, D.C. and we can find each other through tiny little squares on an app. Yeah. And, um, and I think it's so special, too, because I know you've been through a lot as well. And I think the work that you're doing is inspiring and I think the older we get, the more we want like-minded individuals in our circle. And for me, that looks like people who are not afraid to confront their pain. I don't want to have a circle of people who feel that they have to wear a mask. And I don't, and you know, it also says like, what kind of safe spaces are you creating if you don't have people around you that are willing to show the painful parts of their story and, and let others in on that. So I just appreciate your work and vulnerability and the fact that we are connected. Yay, thank you. Um, thank you so much. Um, okay. So, you know, as you, you said, you spoke about some trauma that you had as a, as a child and, and going through the foster system. Yeah. Do you want to share anything about, you know, that time and what that looked like for you in terms of I, I think you were adopted is that right did you get adopted right. yeah I did I did and that's where a lot of people think it ends happily and that adoption is sort of the period to the sentence but that certainly was not the case for me yeah. so uh my my short version of mm -hmm. my experience was that I went into foster care as a newborn baby mm -hmm. so immediately was born and taken from my mother's arms in the hospital to a stranger's house where they would care for me for two years. And I would attach to these people that were not my biological parents. Mm -hmm. um, and then at age two, my birth father ended up getting custody of me. So I went to live with him for a couple of years, mm. having, you know, already disrupted attachments and chaos and, for the first two years of my life, this family called me Teresa, even though my birth certificate said Carrie Hope. And, um, and so then I go to live with my dad for a couple of years and it was not safe. There was alcohol use, substance use, abuse happening in the home. And eventually my preschool found out and I went back into foster care when I was four years old. At four, I moved around from a few different foster homes and finally was placed with a family 
where they very quickly adopted me mm-hmm. and I became the youngest of six children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I thought that was my happy ending that I had this new last name, that I had the stability, that I had siblings, how fun, how exciting, but pretty quickly it, it turned into a nightmare and my adoptive parents really had some struggles that they should not have been able to adopt. Um, so there was more uh, abuse in that home, sexual abuse happening to me. There was secret substance use that ended up coming to the light and my parents ended up getting divorced. And I went to live with my adoptive mom who overnight became a single mom who had to work for the first time in 25 years. And that was really hard for her to navigate. And so my upbringing was so chaotic. It was, you know, talk about adverse childhood experiences, almost, you know, every single one on that list. And in high school, I ended up, it got got so bad that I ended up moving in with one of uh, my best friends and her family. And, um, and yeah, that was, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. There was some lies that my abuser had shared that, that he was not abusing me. And that came to light when I was in college, which again, was just another layer of the onion. So now I can look back at all of this and see all of the different wounding, right? There's so much different wounding that was happening there. Yeah, gosh. Um, thank you so much for sharing. And, and I know there is a lot to unpack there and, and I, I get that fully. So, you know, hearing you, you know, speak, you know, you're a little child, a little girl and, you know, where's the safety for you? you know where's the emotional and physical and everything kind of safety and that you know as at the core of anxious attachment style which is what you know you recognize yourself to be is that right yeah yeah because an abandonment wound is the anxiety is that unsafety it's you know it's that playing out and for you I know I certainly do there's a lot of instances where that can be triggered for you because she essentially doesn't feel safe. Absolutely. And I, for so long, was white knuckling and completely numbing out because that was the only way I could get through. And I mean, it wasn't until very recently when I did breath work, I went to a facilitated breath work session for the first time. And that was one of the key takeaways for me is that I've never felt safe in my body. My body has not been safe since I was essentially since I was born and didn't know rest. My nervous system was always adjusting to the chaos around me and on high alert. And then you add on abuse and the, and the physical danger that is really hard to reckon with as a 28 year old to look back and realize that yeah the the little girl that was me never experienced safety and that as an adult because I spent so many years not knowing safety yeah now it's like my body isn't even sure if that's what it wants sometimes because that's so unfamiliar yep and then that shows in our relationships right because then it mirrors actually that little girl 
um and what she's choosing because she's she's wounded and so the relationships that we go into are not consistent they're not safe they are triggering but that's all you've known love to be absolutely yeah and it's easier to stick with the familiar than it is to go down uncharted territory yeah and I think you know a lot of the time it's that that little girl that's actually trying to um she's trying to grab hold of 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 that per- usually what I see happen is it's usually a parent that's emotionally unavailable or multiple and it's that little girl playing out that relationship wanting the parent to want her and so she's running after this this man or woman whatever it is or vice versa and she's replaying that just to be to prove that she's worthy of being wanted Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. And this also came up in the breathwork session that I did. Cause I've done, I have done trauma therapy for years mm. and have tried to do the inner child work, but it wasn't, it really was not until this breathwork session that all of these loose wires just started clicking together. Mm. And that was a huge one comparing my last partner to the dynamic that I had with my adoptive mom. My adoptive mom was not present in the way that a a parent needed to be. She was traumatized herself Mm -hmm. and she ignored the abuse happening. And, and there are just so many ways in which she did not see me or hear me or make me feel worthy or loved. And so I definitely recognized recently how I was playing out that same dynamic. I was repeating that same relationship with, with my ex. Um, and that's, that was hard to look and notice. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, what we said before we came on here is that you recognize that he was perhaps avoidant. Is that right? And which is no surprise to me. Um, and it's like, then you're stuck in the, the anxious and avoidant trap, which is what I always speak about. And it's the most painful thing for an abandonment wound because it's like triggering that abandonment wound constantly because they, just the way that they operate and their own needs is just so different to ours. And so we feel like we're being abandoned all the time or rejected all the time. And did you all find the time. That? all the time. Um, and, and then it's really hard to not shame yourself when you're in that cycle to not feel like I'm being too needy. What's wrong with me? Why can't I just be more chill and relaxed and go with the flow? And why do I have to make things so complicated in this relationship? Mm -hmm. And I think trying to have compassion for that and know it's okay to have needs in a relationship. That's how life works. And yes, your system may need a little bit more reassurance than other relationships and that's okay. But I think it's really painful in the anxious avoidance cycle because what I was, I think I said to you is the things I was asking my ex for triggered him and the things that he was asking of me triggered me. Mm-hmm. And, and then you have a situation in which two people are not getting their needs met because they're stuck in their old wounds. Mm-hmm. And that's so painful to let go of a relationship because there's still love and there's a lot of love mm-hmm. and it sucks when love cannot always win. 
it also, you have to look at what is happening to make you show up in your relationship in those ways and deal with it. Or it becomes this very toxic cycle and pattern that's not sustainable for a relationship, which I learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I've been, I've learned the hard way too. And anyone listening will be the same. And thank you for sharing that because I, I think that is so true. And the truth is, and this is the hardest thing to, to learn, is that love isn't enough. I'm sorry. Love is wonderful, but, you know, love doesn't always, it's not always healthy and therefore if it's toxic it's not enough it's just not um but you're right it's a very hard thing to let go of and especially if you have an abandonment wound oh my god walking away is like (gasps) the worst thing you can ever imagine doing like you just cling hold of them and lose yourself in the process of course because you just can't bear the pain of that abandonment wound which again is playing out from childhood that trauma it's so painful. And I I can't tell you how many times I've said, you know, it would just, it would have been a lot easier if someone cheated or if there were, I say that I'm sure it wouldn't be if I were to actually have to work that out in therapy, yeah. but it is very hard to, to let go in those situations because for me, like at least the anxious part of me says, no, I could just do better. I could just try this or that. And and unfortunately, I think, yeah, you're nodding. You're like, I know this all too well. I do. Um, and unfortunately, that's just feeding into the narrative yeah. that I'm not enough. Yes. And, it, you know, unfortunately, that is the part of anxious attachment style. It's the fixing, it's the saving, it's the caretaking and the self-blame that comes with it. So like you just said right there of, you know, maybe I'm, may, why can't I just chill? I'm ruining this. I'm too needy. I'm this. And unfortunately in the trap, we end up taking a lot of the blame on ourselves more than generally the avoidant side, unfortunately. And, and we end up working very hard to meet their needs, you know, even suppressing ourselves and everything, because essentially we've learned that our needs don't matter. So we've, we're already starting on that foot. And then, (laughs) And then they come in and we're already too much for them. So therefore we have to suppress ourselves even more because we think we're the problem. And what I always say is that you're not the problem. You're absolutely not the problem. It's the situation that is just triggering both of you and you just want two different things. Your needs do not match and neither of you are essentially the problem, but together you are the problem. Yeah, it's it's ugly. Those cycles are ugly. And, and that it's a hard realization that love isn't enough because we are sent these messages. At least I feel like I was sent messages from a really young age that relationships are hard work and, and, and that's just an expected part of it. Um, But then it's hard to notice like when, when you need to walk away because it's such an unhealthy dynamic or cycle like that. Yeah, absolutely. And the other aspect of things is if you have grown up with trauma, which is unfortunately a lot of people have experienced some form of trauma, whether it's whatever that looks like to them, unfortunately, your tolerance is quite high. I don't know if you you found this. So actually what you think love is because of what you've been shown, the tolerance of, you know, abuse or gaslighting or being spoken to in a certain way or all of these kind of things or being blamed, 
that's just what you think love is like I I definitely definitely thought that way before um so already your idea of a healthy relationship you have no idea you don't even know what that looks like did you find yeah. oh my gosh yeah I think yeah and I think in the breakup process that that is one of the most crippling pieces is to feel like you're a failure mm. and to feel like you are broken or you are you know a product of these wounds and I think for me the thing that has gotten me through that last breakup was my friends pouring into me my friends and family saying that you you are loved you are enough you are amazing you were one half of that relationship so any of the happy memories you have you contributed it was because you were there that those existed and um yeah, just having to battle some of the really nasty narratives that can come up that we tell ourselves when we're stuck in Mm -hmm. an anxious cycle. Um, And I heard this thing recently that was so interesting to me. And it was specifically a psychologist talking about our brains and neuroscience and trauma. And particularly for kids who experience trauma, they will write the narratives that I am bad I did this. This was my fault. And the reason they do that is because if you tell yourself, I am bad, I did this, it's my fault, then you are gaining control back and some sort of power back over the situation. So especially in cases where a child's been abused, Mm. by telling yourself those things, you have a small part that you can control and take power over and prevent yourself from having to go through that again. If you say, well, now I know what to do next time. Cause I was bad. This was my fault. So if I do this differently, I can protect myself from the pain that yeah. was this experience. Yeah. But and that, those are yeah. not easy narratives to break. No. And that is how people pleasers are born <laughs> and created because it's that, it's that beliefs that they are, responsible so if I just do this next time then you know this they won't hurt me they won't do something to me they won't be in a bad mood or whatever it looks like to some people and and it it will differ and it doesn't work that way unfortunately because that it doesn't work because it was never about the child it was always about the adult and the adult was going to do whatever they were going to do regardless. And the child actually didn't have that much control, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And therefore the child works extra hard. And that's almost where anxious attachment comes from, where we work very hard for love to then people please even more. I have to be perfect. I need to be to please this person and maybe they won't hurt me again. And then they learn again that the person will continue to do it. Yeah. And seeps in that they're not good enough. They couldn't save themselves. They couldn't, they couldn't control the situation. And that's where you will notice in your relationships, you'll try and control the other person. Yeah. And so for, I'm curious what you would say to this, because, you know, in my line of work, it's a lot about telling stories. Mm. It's a lot about debunking the stories that society says about individuals who have gone through the foster care system And a lot of the healing work is about telling ourselves new stories about ourselves. So what in your work with anxious attachment styles is the main narrative that's showing up for people and the main story that they're telling themselves? 
the one I hear the most and and I mean it's very simple but it's I'm not good enough everything every single thing comes down to I'm not good enough when you peel back the onions enough and enough enough and then of course people will leave you know that's another one that comes up a lot Mm. and essentially all just everything like there'll be layers so there'll be some but when you peel it back it always comes to I'm not good enough and when you look at the trauma and it doesn't matter it could be um you know abuse it could even be sometimes it's parents that and I see this a lot it's it's parents that are very much together so it's very different trauma but perhaps they were they expected the child to be an overachiever for instance even perfectionism and and be you know criticized a little bit that creates anxious attachment style and but if you look at it and you peel that back it's I'm not good enough yeah I wasn't good enough to be accepted as I was I wasn't love it wasn't it was unconditional the love was no sorry it was conditional sorry yeah unconditional I had to be perfect to be loved I couldn't make mistakes to be loved Mm. and in your case of you know children going into foster care and then adopting they already don't feel safe so they're already like I can't I have to be perfect I have to you know I have to please and and otherwise I'm going to go back or you know those narratives are already there and it all comes back down to I'm not good enough why does anyone why why am I not wanted you know Uh, yeah oh my gosh yes I'm relating a lot and I think as an adult I'm very familiar with the I'm not good enough narrative and trying to rewrite that but I think what you just said is sort of eye-opening to me is the one that people always leave. And I don't think I have given enough space to that. And I don't know how much I've self-sabotaged relationships to make sure that narrative stays true for me. Like, People always leave. So you're going to leave. So I'm going to act a fool because you. I know you're going to leave. And you test them to see whether they will leave. And, you know, self-sabotage can be drink. It can be sex. It can be pushing them. It can be arguments. It can be, it can show up in so many different ways to test whether they're going to stay for you and whether you're good enough. You're just pushing those boundaries. Do you think people can rewrite that story that people always leave without first rewriting the story that I am good enough? Uh, No, I think I am good enough is at the very, very, very core. So I think it needs to be uh, dealt with the most. Um, And those are the other stories that come off it. But here's the thing about people always leave me. And this is what I say and what I've had to learn myself is that you know because we fear other people leaving us we abandon ourselves to stop them from leaving us that's what anxious attachment style is where we don't have we we don't think our needs matter we just literally people please we abandon ourselves every aspect of it is abandoning ourselves Mm. so we're leaving ourselves so actually the anxiety is coming from the fact that you're abandoning yourself. It's actually not coming from them. Like it, it, yes, of course they play their part and it is, but if you went abandoning yourself first, Mm -hmm. 
you wouldn't be feeling that anxiety and you'd be making very different choices first of all because you probably wouldn't necessarily be in some of these relationships and accepting some <laughs> of these things but we are because we we don't want them to leave yeah so when you know I work with people is that you stop abandoning yourself you start to everything you need in somebody else you now give to yourself which is something that you don't learn mm. as a child when you have an abandonment wound because Mm. you've learned to give to everyone else Mm. and actually the core things of being secure is that you're taught to fill yourself up and look after yourself and have a sense of self-worth and actually you don't have that so you've never learned it so that's it's reprogramming that to learn that which is I am good enough which is it truly is like an addiction and it is it is true that of addictions you cannot force someone they have to make the choice themselves and I think that in the last couple of years that's where I've come to a point of just noticing I don't want these same repeat cycles that I want to choose differently for myself but that's so hard because it is trying to break this addiction and this thing that you've always known so yeah it it is it 100% is what I see and what I've experienced myself is when you attach to yourself it's easy to not want it's easy much easier to not need somebody else to kind of do that and it's somebody that just adds value because you're attached to yourself and you're giving that all to yourself that's a hard thing to do I won't lie it is but that is the answer to anxious attachment style it's attaching to yourself and that doesn't look like you know going to the cinema by yourself that's part of it but it's inside it's you know doing that work to recognize that you're enough and connecting with that and yeah. what I always say is inner child healing is very powerful for that but yeah. there's lots of different ways like you said breath work is connecting with yourself how great does that feel so good. So good. The return home. I heard, I've heard people talk about that re- coming home to yourself, yeah. but I, after, after doing breath work and after having some of those realizations, it create and release and releasing a lot of the grief that my body never released from childhood gave space for there to be safety for me to finally approach my inner child and hug her and tell her it's okay. It's safe. And I'm not going to leave you. You're not going to be alone. Um, but it wasn't until I could build some safety in my body that I could do that. And I'm curious for you. I just, I can't stop thinking about how many kids in the foster care system are experiencing these things. And if we want to create stronger adults who don't have to spend years in therapy or have broken relationship after broken relationship, how do we help kids start to build this really strong sense of self when they're in the thick of this trauma? How do we intercede earlier so that it's not, you know, late 20 something year olds, 30 something year olds who have racked up relationship crises to come to this point yeah and this is what's interesting because I guess what you do is at the point where you're trying to save them as children 
and I have I haven't figured out that part but I I guess what I do is try and save save them from the trauma interrupting the rest <laughs> of their lives for the rest of their lives when they when they've already got it so I don't know I the truth is for me I see it as what I'm doing is going to create better parents to yes. create better you know secure children in the future and, and and because their parents have that guidance and they know what that is which our parents had no idea about you yeah. know yeah but I haven't figured out how to save the kids that are going through it and I don't and know I think that's the answer I think exactly what you just said is the work of helping adults mm-hmm. come home to themselves have stronger attachment systems that it I see in my line of work that there's a window of opportunity between the ages of 16 to 28, because especially for our kiddos in foster care, a lot of them become parents at a young age. Mm -hmm. And so if we could help them to really heal and deal with their trauma and with these broken attachment styles with these, or not, I shouldn't say broken attachment styles, but anxious attachment styles or avoidant attachment styles between 16 to 28, that we will create stronger, better parents who will then raise stronger children yeah yeah but I mean essentially you know what I do and the tools that I teach and everything that I do can be done at any age it can be but the difference is is I think you have to be ready to face your trauma Mm. and that doesn't always come that young it can for some but you know you have to be ready to want to do the work to face it and some people aren't there but certainly if you are, then yeah, you absolutely can do all these things. And and it makes me so happy, you know, when I do have young people come to me or clients or even just DMs all the time. It's like, yes, they're young. Gosh, I wish I wish I had this when I was young, like, because I had no idea about any of this stuff. Yeah, same. I think we're all in the same boat. If we would have only known sooner, we could have handled it sooner. We could have prevented more heartbreak, but it is a learning process. And, um, you know, I'm grateful for the experiences. I know that I'm capable of having resilience to to move forward. But yeah, this information would have been super helpful. <laughs> it would have, but I believe that it was meant to happen to create people that could then share the information and unfortunately sometimes there's sacrificial lambs a part of that and I feel like I was definitely one of those and I've made peace with that idea that that I had to go for everything I did to be the person that I am today to have the knowledge to be able to share it and do what I do and and that makes it at least worth it for me I could not agree more I could not agree more that um without the trauma, there wouldn't be this triumph. And without the pain, there wouldn't be this purpose. And when you have been deep down in the trenches, you get to appreciate the light more. And it, it makes you want to pull people up to appreciate it with you. Yeah. I know you have to go, so I won't keep you, but I do have one last question. Yes. What would you say to anyone that was in your position as a little girl in the foster system or adoption, wherever it is and what feels right to you, what would you want them to know? 
Yeah. I think I would want them to know that you're already enough and that you can't do anything more or anything less to take away from that enoughness that you are enough just because you are and and uh, I don't know I wish I could just hug anyone in that situation and just make them know that they're seen and heard and valued and worthy so worthy and to not look for their worth in relationships or accomplishments Mm -hmm. or the bottom of the bottle yeah I I really think that's the biggest message yeah I love that and I just want to add to that slightly it's just whatever any person does to you as a child it's not a reflection of you as a child it's actually just a reflection of them and their traumas and their insecurities and it it doesn't make it okay and I'm certainly not excusing it but it's not about you and trying not to take that on it's not yeah I love that I love that so much I wish there would have been more honest conversations with me as a kid Mm -hmm. about the adults what the adults around me had gone through because now as an adult I have heard their stories and they are running rampant with their own trauma. And now it makes sense to me that it really, it wasn't about me. It was about their pain. And it was about the fact that they never healed from it. And so the most important thing we can do is to. Oh, Oh, no, we've lost her. Unfortunately, we lost Kerry as she was saying something so important and and I'd love to hear it. Um, but it looks like it must have been a connection error. Um, but I'm sure everyone listening will agree it was an incredible conversation and very important one. So thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to the Fuck Trauma podcast with me, Candice Kamara. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it on your socials and let people know. And if you have any feedback, please feel free to share it with me at Candice Tamara underscore on Instagram. And if you haven't done already, hit the follow button and follow the podcast because it's going to be full of juicy, juicy, juiciness that you do not want to miss. Until next time, see you then.